0: This is episode 221 of the IDRA Class Notes podcast. We have to be able to look outside of ourselves. Whether I am a multilingual student or a student who happens to be Black or a member of the LGBTQ community, any student who has found themselves in a marginalized space, they should be able to share their views, and have those around them really hear them. Like that's the part that's not happening. So many students right now have so much to say and in very few cases are they actually being listened to. Hello, all of our podcast listeners. This is Dr. Paula Johnson. I am a senior education associate here at IDRA, and I am the director of the IDRA EAC South, our equity assistance center. And I am overjoyed to be here this afternoon with Dr. Liz Pignon, one of our new staff members. And this is her very first podcast. So I'm very excited. Liz, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Hi, my name is Liz Pignon, and I'm so excited to join you all today. I am
0: super glad to have you with me to discuss substantive conversations with students. We have several articles and a few podcasts even about the use of substantive conversations for promoting dialogue and academic language development among students. But today, we're going to take a little twist on that and talk about some of our current events and how that intersects with substantive student conversations. One of the things that we really want to get into today is you know youth voice. We have a lot of conversations going on lately around student advocacy and uplifting student voices. Liz, I know that we talk about this quite a bit in that in the at the classroom level and the district level, the campus level. It's really important to hear from our students. What would you say about that?
1: Well, especially all of our students, but especially our emergent bilingual students There is such a need for them to be talking at all times of the day, right? In the lunchroom, in the classroom, with their friends, during their free time. In order for them to develop their listening and their speaking, they really need to be practicing with their peers, with their educators, and and with the adults that surround them.
0: I totally agree. The articles that we've mentioned speak to that. They talk about the need to activate all four parts of academic language on a daily basis for emergent bilingual students. And so me as a math educator, I have always taken the stance that that's necessary for all of our students. All of our students need to be practicing both productive and receptive language, where as far as receptive, what we are reading and what we are seeing, what we're writing and what we are speaking, the four pieces together help us develop proficiency, um, mastery of language and vocabulary and even sentence structure and usage. So I think of a parallel between emergent bilingual students and students in any course where there is a heavy reliance on vocabulary. So math, science, social studies, even music language obviously but even in sports you have to know what you're talking about and the only way to develop a true i guess comfort level with what the content that you're engaging is to know more about it through conversations so we have to use the words and the the phrases and all of the things parts of speech past tense all of those structures that create you know our communication ability in a particular topic. So one of the things that I think is really key about that is that when we ask students to do this, we have to give them that foundation. We have to give them structure. We have to model and demonstrate and then provide as many opportunities to do so, right? So we talk about turn and talks and think, pair, share, and two heads together and all of those great things to have
1: students perform language. And Dr. It. Johnson? Yes. Also, the space and the time, right? The opportunity to have that think time, especially for our ELLs or students who might not have had the amount of vocabulary that is expected as they enter school. So, just being able to give them time to think of the topic and be able to answer um, and develop the academic language that they need in whatever content area, in math or social studies or whatever class they might be in. Would you take that a little bit deeper? Because I know that you've been speaking on,
0: thinking on, writing on a particular topic that is very relevant to this whole idea of think time around translanguaging. Would you share with our audience, like when you said, you know, giving them that time and space. So if I'm a math teacher and I ask a question, At the end of that question, we, as teachers, we're looking for kind of that immediate response. Talk to me about what is happening in the mind of an emergent bilingual student
1: when I ask that question. Right. Just the freedom to think about maybe they want to answer in more basic words, even allowing the child, how about if they just want to draw it for you or allowing them to answer in their native language. Even if the teacher does not understand English, there might be peers that might translate. Uh, So many technology pieces help us right now. Google Translate has come leap years in the technology that it gives us to understand other languages. I was just able to have a conversation with a student and she was speaking to me in Turkish and my Google Translate was translating it to me in English. I mean, that's so powerful that I was in a classroom and I didn't need to know the language that other student was speaking, but she understood the topic that was being covered. And that's so powerful because we're, we're giving them the power back that even if they are not certain of the words that they can use to say it in English, they can say it in their native language or there could be peers that could help. So just first giving them that think time also, because as a second language learner and, or multiple language learner, you you just need a few minutes to process or seconds to process what it is you're talking about, and then giving them the, the opportunity to answer in whatever language that they come with, right? The whole premise of translanguaging is not rendering the student mute, If we're doing a class and we say, oh, this class is, we're only doing it in English. Well, that renders our students who just arrived quiet. They're quiet in a classroom because they feel like their voice doesn't matter. But if we open the door and say, you can share your ideas in whatever language you want, and we'll figure it out, then that opens the door. And that allows this important dialogue that we want our kids to have.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned that because there is a very similar philosophy among Robert Moses. Bob Moses was the leader of the algebra project and it was that same idea. Now these were um, English speaking students, but the majority of them were black and a lot of them were from low socioeconomic family situations. And they did not have the vocabulary for algebra. And this was in middle school. He was really trying to advance that mathematical thinking in these students. For them to have that sense, like you mentioned, giving them their power back, giving them a way to communicate, even if they didn't have the immediate language, but that they could say it how they thought it. Like they could use their own words. They could find the relevant ideas to make these connections. And then once he understood where they were going, he would give them the vocabulary that was more apropos to the topic. If we think about it, even as with babies, small babies, they learn to mimic language through us. So they don't know how to say cup, but they know what a cup is. And they might have their own word for cup or, you know, their woobies, or my nephews call my, my mother-in-law back We don't know where they got that from, but that's their word for grandma. And we all know what it means and we allow them to use it. We do not correct them because that's the word that they use for it. Now in our classes, of course, it's important for students to again, have these academic terms to develop them more, more thoroughly. But it's the idea of giving the student the opportunity to produce in a way that makes sense to them, right? That's when we talk about comprehensible input, right? When we go back to the whole philosophy of sheltered instruction, it's all about comprehensible input. So it's something that you said, though, that allowing students that time and giving them the power made me make that connection to the Algebra Project because it's one of the potentially banned books, that is going through censorship right now, this whole censorship uh, movement. And the idea of giving power to students through conversation makes me think of the ways in which we are engaging students in dialogue around topics that are very relevant to them, topics that are gonna shape their future, but not giving them opportunity and space to respond or share their own ideas. And so that was the twist to today's podcast that really came out of my writing of the article and that we, we want students to think for themselves. We teach them problem solving. We teach them critical thinking and we want them to engage in dialogue, but only up until the point where their beliefs may diverge from our own as the adults in the room. And so with that being said, There are a lot of students who have a lot to say right now, and we need to, don't you think that we need to give them that space?
1: And Dr. Johnson, I just was at a conference and heard an educator say that something that he's doing with his students right now, he's a music teacher, and he'll play music, and he uses that to create a space for students to have dialogue about issues that are happening in their community, even in their classroom. And I thought, how powerful was that lesson that he's allowing them to develop their voice, right? They might have been shy to speak in another class because they didn't feel secure on what they're talking about. But in his class, he showed examples of how much their vocabulary grew, even over one or two lessons, because they had that freedom. They weren't worried about saying it wrong or, you know, they were amongst their peers in a free, and safe space where they can develop their ideas and discuss them with an educator. I mean, it was powerful, Dr. Johnson. So, Dr. Pignon, do you think that schools,
0: I'm talking about uh, teacher education programs, I'm thinking back to mine, which again, I was certified almost 30 years ago, telling my age. I don't remember taking a class on how to facilitate open dialogue with my students of any age. And I always taught high school for the most part, but at IDRA, thankfully I've been blessed to work with students from kindergarten through college, but nowhere along that path of certification did I have a class that helped me engage students in informal or formal dialogue or debate where they could truly express themselves. In their own words, you know, again, sometimes they may need sentence stems or prompting, things like that. But, and and what I mean by this is I'm trying to get to the issues that we're dealing with today. A lot of the, you know, going back to the banned books and the censorship, a lot of that has to do with sexual identity and racial equity. And those are not topics that I studied in my PhD program, but not in my early pre-service teaching uh, classes. And so how can we better prepare teachers, pre-service and in-service, to have these conversations? Students want to talk. They want to talk about what they're seeing around them. But how do we help train up teachers
1: around these sensitive topics? Uh, Dr. Johnson, that's a good question. But I think we need to figure out how we could create an overlay in one of the classes in education where we add that piece. There was one bilingual class I remember taking where we did spend a lot of time in the listening and speaking, right? How do we develop a listening and speaking with our emergent bilinguals? But, you know, when you're doing your classes, it's so different than when you're actually in the classroom teaching. Right. Uh, so I think right. that's a good opportunity for districts to step up and put in pieces in, in place where we're having this Good conversations. How do we create conversations in the classroom or with our colleagues? You know, how do we have these conversations with even another fellow teacher about things that we might have a different a different opinion about on how we should teach a subject or how we need to do things? Um, I think it's it's powerful, Doctor Johnson. I think I entirely agree with you. And and thinking about it that way,
0: you know, I just want to jump into the fray and you know just tell people what I think they should do, but I think that it's more important to understand the rationale behind it. And you know, again, thinking about our students, like I have a middle schooler and a high schooler, and I want them to be able to have what we call courageous or critical conversations with their peers without fights breaking out. I want them to be able to share their concerns or their viewpoint, and then in turn, be able to see the perspective or at least hear the perspective of someone with an opposing view without trying to discredit them or tear it down, but to try to hear what that person is saying. And again, always thinking about the notion that we're all speaking from our own life experiences. So I want my children to be like global thinkers and very well-rounded and be able to anticipate, you know what, so-and-so might have a different take because this is what they experienced or this is what they know best versus they're wrong because this is what I know to be true for myself. Like, we have to be able to look outside of ourselves. And I think that that's another big component here in that whether I am a multilingual student or a student who happens to be Black or a member of the LGBTQ community, any student who has found themselves in a marginalized space, they should be able to share their views and have those around them Really hear them. Like that's the part that's not happening. I just feel like so many students right now have so much to say, and in very few cases are they actually being listened to. And so, you know, all of this, there's so much, there's so much to do in the time that we have today. So we may have to do a part two. But I really think that the biggest focus or the takeaways, I guess, of our conversation is that it's really important to give kids thinking time,
1: it's important to give them the tools to communicate. What would you add? And allowing students a safe space to be able to to have these conversations. I'm really glad you mentioned that a safe space. And a lot of
0: times people think they trivialize what a safe space looks like or what what it means to individual students. But safe truly just means safe, Stay from physical, emotional and verbal harm that we want to make sure that they can express themselves clearly. We help them articulate their meaning, but without threat of any kind of harm to their person in, in whatever respect that means. So I think this is something that we have to continue talking about, you know, like you were saying, give them something to talk about. But I, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. I just know that there's so much more for us to do on this topic, but I'm so glad to be doing it
1: alongside you. Yeah, Dr. Johnson, we we need to. We need to let our kids speak and, and talk and, and develop you know, these conversations. So thank you for this conversation, Dr. Johnson. Thank you so much. And I, I would add to
0: this, our conversation, it relates to students of all ages. At the youngest of ages, students will say, we have some pretty precocious kids, especially as they keep talking about these pandemic babies. These kids are going to grow up a lot quicker than we did, and we need to be prepared for that. And and I just think that as the adults in the rooms, we have a tendency to kind of want to keep kids young for as long as we can. But they're having some very mature thoughts about the world around them. And I really think that we have to listen to them. So that's my biggest takeaway is listen to the kids. They definitely have something to say. In whatever
1: language, Dr.
0: Johnson, in whatever whatever language they're going to say it in. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for joining us today. And we hope that you will join us again for what I anticipate being a future podcast on a continuation of this topic. We hope that you have a great day. We thank you again for joining us. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.